Hey guys. Uh, it's so great to be back with you this morning. We've been, uh, like when you include the, the lake day that we had a few weeks ago, it's been two weeks since, you know, we've kind of gathered together here as Canvas Church. And my wife leaned over to me at the end of that video and she's like, I hate you. Why do you, why do you pick these kinds of, why do you do this to everybody? You take, you take pride in making everybody cry and that. And I'm like, well, I, I mean, you know. Um, but I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't think of a better way to illustrate a little bit of what we've been talking about, but we're going to talk about, you know, this morning. And um, as we're discussing what it looks like to be a good neighbor. And, um, you know, I felt very... I felt very moved and, and compelled in my heart towards this series because when we look at things uh, as a church and what God is calling us to, God has called us to so much more than just um, a group of people, you know, doing church for themselves. We are called to be a blessing to other people, to turn our lives outwardly into our community uh, to exist, to see those um, who are not here yet find a place where they can, um, where they can find a relationship with Christ, where they, they can know his love. And I was reminded of a story about the, the preacher by the name of Tony Campolo, um, who was speaking in Honolulu, Honolulu, Hawaii. And if you've ever traveled, um, you know... Um, if you've ever traveled internationally, you know how difficult it can be um, with jet lag. Uh, whenever you have any, when you're traveling uh, t- across time zones and that, your body clock can get quite a bit out of whack. And so Tony Campolo was traveling to Honolulu, and he woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning. What's up, Maddox? How you doing? Um, so he, he, he woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was hungry, and he was wide awake, So he went looking for a place to eat, and he found this Greasy Spoon Diner, and he walked inside there, and he ordered a donut and some coffee. And after he'd been sitting there for a little bit, eight to nine women who had been working the streets, so they were prostitutes, they came in to the diner, and it was just just the the women and, and Tony, and so, you know, it left him in a place where he really couldn't do anything other than he, he's overhearing their conversation as they're talking. So um, as they're talking, one of them mentions that tomorrow it's going to be her birthday. And her name was Agnes. She was turning 39 years old. And she said, I have never had a birthday party in my entire life. And so something snapped in Tony Campolo. And when the ladies left, he asked the owner, he said, are, are these women regulars here? And he said, yeah, they come in at the same time, same, same group every, every night. And he said, hey, I've got a crazy idea. What if we were to throw a surprise birthday party for Agnes? And the owner of the diner thought it was a great idea. And he said, you know what, I'll bake the cake. And so the next day, Tony Campolo comes in and he brings decorations. And, and so they, they decorate the place with balloons and streamers. And uh, the owner of the diner gets the word out onto the street uh, that we're going to be throwing the surprise birthday party. And so uh, every prostitute, it seemed like, in Honolulu 
floods into the place for this surprise birthday party. And so Tony Campola's like, it's wall-to-wall prostitutes and me in this diner. And uh, so Agnes walks in, and everyone yells, happy birthday, Agnes, and they start singing. And the owner brings out the cake, and, and he lights the candles, and he says, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And she looks at the cake, and she stares at the cake, and she says, I, 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 I can't. I can't do it. I've, I've never had a cake before. This is the first time I've ever had a cake for my birthday. She said, hold on, let me go and, and tell my mom. I want to show my mom, and then I'll come back, and then I'll cut the cake. And she leaves. And they're all, like, standing there awkwardly, like, what just happened? She's gone. She leaves the diner. And so Tony Campolo stands there for a minute and thinks what to do next, and he goes, you know, maybe we should pray. And so right there, he, he leads a prayer, and he prays for Agnes, and he prays for all the women in the diner. And afterwards, uh, the, the owner of the diner leans over the counter, and he whispers to him, and he said, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach in? And he said, it was like a Holy Spirit moment where God just gives you the right words at the right time. So he responds to the owner of the diner and he said, I'm the pastor of a church that throws surprise birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) And the owner of the diner was like, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because if you were and that kind of church existed, I would go to a church like that. And Tony Campolo responded and said, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? What does it look like to be the type of church that throws surprise birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? You know, uh, whether you are new to church or whether you have been raised around it, um, whatever your expectations are, were when you came into this place this morning. I can tell you, if we did a little bit of word association and I, I said the word church, I doubt that very many people uh, would, uh, would think parties in association with that word. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll generally, generally speaking, that's not our first impression or our first expectation when it comes to church. And yet, It's a reoccurring theme in the Gospels. It's a reoccurring metaphor in the parables that Jesus told. Do we need to do a better and do we need to do a greater job at at living out and and preaching the, the gospel? Absolutely, we do. But I wonder what would happen if we were to throw better parties. I think maybe the kingdom would come a little bit closer. A couple weeks ago, as I mentioned, actually, I guess it's been three weeks now, um, or no, it was two weeks ago, uh, when we were at the lake. That was a great example of a great party. Um, I loved that we could get together that day, and if you missed it, it won't be the, it it was the first, but it won't, won't be the last time that we do this. But I really enjoyed, there were moments where I just kind of stood back and just wanted to take in everything that was going on. And um, yeah, it was great that we celebrated the steps of faith that um, the, the young people that made the choice to be baptized, that was fantastic to do that. But I, I just, I loved it all. 
just the fact that individuals and families were enjoying one another in what I, what I believe to be really authentic community. It's what being the church is all about. And it was a party. We were celebrating those who had taken a step of faith to be baptized. And I don't know, uh, if you weren't there, you maybe missed uh, that this happened. But one of the cool unexpected things, and this is what occurs when you throw good parties, um, is that other people take notice. And so, you know, we had the privilege that day. There was, you know, a mom and her son that were looking in on the whole experience. And Grayson, the, the young man, said, I, I want this. I want to be baptized today. And she said, done. Let's do it. And we had kind of wrapped up and we're moving away from the lake, but then they came and found us and Pastor Steve came and got me and we talked to him and we prayed for him and we baptized him and it was incredible. And to, to, to go one more step further, uh, the next week Natalie was in a real estate class and there was like over 100 people in that class. And, um, and she met up with a friend that she hadn't seen for a while, and they were kind of talking together in a group, and she said, well, how's everything going with the church plant? And that you guys planted like a couple years ago, right? And she's like, no, it's only been about seven months that we're into this. And, uh, and there was a guy in the group that she didn't know prior, and he said, well, where, where's the church? And she said, oh, it's in Centerton. He goes, oh, I live in Centerton. What, what's the name of the church? And as Natalie starts to say the name, it, he made a connection in his mind, too, and they both said at the same time, Canvas Church. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, you guys were the church that was at the lake this last weekend, weren't you? You guys did the baptism service and that? And then he's like, did, did you guys baptize that little boy impromptu? Like, I, we saw that. Was that, a, that wasn't planned, right? He came over, and you guys baptized him. And she said, yeah, that was, that was us. And he said, I've got I've to check out your church. And I, I'm just saying, when we throw good parties where we celebrate Jesus for who he is and, and then what he's allowed for us to do when it comes to one another, which is to build authentic relationships and community with one another, people take notice of that. They really do. And so we're continuing in this summer series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And last week, I heard that Pastor Steve, well, actually, I listened to it, so I know. Pastor Steve knocked it out of the park. He did a great job. Um, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, so there you go. He's not in here, but maybe now they'll throw me some money, too. I heard him say that. Um, but uh, anyway, Steve talked about... Um, how we as people need to be reaching out to those who are oftentimes in our culture and society outcasts. They're cast out, they, they're overlooked, they're undervalued, and, and we're going to kind of continue uh, in that same line of thought this morning as we talk about what it looks like to throw better parties. And if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you can get that out and, and uh, look at the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, beginning in verse 1. And if you have neither of those, um, you can follow along on the screen. But Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And here's what it says. Tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. 
This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So in other words, Jesus was partying with the wrong people. And according to Pharisees, uh, sinners often came to listen to him teach. And I, I love the way this translation talks about this because it doesn't just say sinners. It wants to let us know that they were notorious sinners. And to be a, a notorious sinner, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that, I don't know how you fall into that category. I don't really want to know that for myself. Um, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully I've never been labeled a notorious sinner. Uh, I am a sinner though, um, saved by grace. But these were notorious sinners. And generally speaking, it's religious people who come to church and irreligious people who do not. And so this, this seems kind of strange, right? That Jesus attracted sinners to come and listen to him. It seems a little bit backwards, but maybe it's us that are backwards in our thinking. I'm going to ask you two questions today, and they're really the, the questions that I want us to, to really pause and take time and digest this morning. And that is, who are you befriending and who are you offending? Who are you befriending in life and who are you offending? If we're befriending religious people and offending irreligious people, then maybe we've got Jesus backwards here. We think we're following Jesus, but maybe we're following Pharisees. Here's what I know for sure. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and Jesus offended Pharisees. So my thought is this, go and do likewise. That's what we should be about. And if I push that envelope even a little bit further, when you think about this, non-religious people were drawn, the scripture tells us they were drawn to him, and the Pharisees really did not like that. A particular group of people that they really couldn't stand that Jesus hung out with were tax collectors. Why were tax collectors such a frowned upon group of people? Well, the short answer to that was that Palestine was under Roman rule, which meant that Jews had to give to Caesar what was Caesar's. But the Roman Empire was, uh, was kind of smart in this uh, way. Um, they, they didn't go out and collect themselves. They employed locals to do it for them. And so these tax collectors were no notorious for being cheaters and traitors. They were basically profiting off of their own people. And so they were considered to be kind of like the scum of the earth. Everybody hated them. But Jesus loved them. And so the Pharisees in this story, they, they level an accusation against Jesus. They accuse Jesus of being a friend of sinners. Dear Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. A compliment from a fool is an insult, and an insult from a fool is a compliment. A compliment from a fool is an insult. An insult from a fool is a compliment. The Pharisees 
are trying to insult Jesus here. And Jesus just takes it on the chin. He kind of takes it as a compliment. What does he say? He said, it's not the righteous who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Jesus was someone who had a huge heart for people who were hurting, those who were cast out, misfits. And that's why he ate with sinners, partied with publicans, touched lepers, and celebrated Samaritans. He then even went as far as to draft a tax collector to be one of his very own 12, the 12 disciples, changed his name from Levi to Matthew. Matthew wrote a little book, first book in the New Testament. But how did all that start for Matthew? It started by Jesus calling him out to follow him, but then, then we read just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 9, there was a party. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So we just got done talking about how tax collectors were kind of considered the worst of the worst of people. So who are they friends with? Other tax collectors, right? Other notorious sinners. So it's a very similar picture to what we just looked at in this first story about Tony Campolo being in the diner. You've got notorious, wall-to-wall, you've got notorious sinners, and then, and then Jesus. Uh, and, and this party's happening, and the Pharisees are looking on, and they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, back to the questions I had asked a little bit ago. Who are you befriending and who are you offending? Jesus kind of gives his MO here. He says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And what does that mean? Well, I think it means that Jesus was about helping people find their way back to God, back to a relationship with him. And that generally starts in a place where you befriend people who are very far from God. Can I just say this? When we truly love others out of the response and the understanding of God's love, his grace, and his mercy that he's poured out upon us, Jesus is not our agenda. Jesus is our life. Do you, do you understand the, the difference that I'm talking about there? That means that when we go out and we talk about either inviting people to church or sharing our faith, reaching out, loving other people, it's not because we're in some sort of competition. It's not because we are, uh, we're trying to satisfy this agenda that we have to complete. It's not a notch in our belt. It's not a competition. It's a response out of relationship. Jesus is not my agenda. 
He is my life. And as we hang out with other people, the reality of it is is that we should be so full of the love of Christ in our own hearts that it spills out into the lives of other people so that when they hang out with us, they get a little bit of Jesus in them. It's just a natural byproduct. It's not based, again, on agenda. It's based on that's our life. Ministry is our life. It's not something that we do. It's not in this compartmentalized box along with all of our other boxes. It's who we are. Church is something that is meant for us to live out outside of these four walls. It's not something that we do and go, well, I, I did my spiritual duty this week and went to church. Congratulations. You want a cookie? That's not, that's not what this is about. That's not what becoming... <laughs> Scott wants one. Um, that's not what maturing in relationship is all about. We love others because we recognize and we continue to become aware each and every day of God's love for us. It's not like a one-time awareness. It's a constantly becoming aware. Each and every day discovering, oh my goodness, his love is even greater than I imagined before. Just, just continuing to discover that in ways that then compel and drive us to want to go out and to share that love with other people. So who are you befriending? I hope that it's some people who are far from God. And then who are you offending? What if we were to live by this little maxim? You ready? Thou shalt offend Pharisees because that's what I see in the Gospels. Jesus, think about this. Jesus could have healed on any day of the week. But often, and I believe intentionally, we have examples where he chose to heal people on the Sabbath. Why? I don't know, maybe because he thought it would be a whole lot more fun. I don't know to do it that way because he ticked some people off. Maybe he thought, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll heal some people, but I will also confront the religiosity of the Pharisees at the same time. Now, let's switch gears back. To Luke chapter 15. As we continue on in this chapter, Jesus tells three stories. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And all three of these stories make one singular point, and that is this. God has a huge heart for those who are outside the fold, outside the fence, outside of the family. And that's why we aren't called, like I said earlier, we're not called to just do church for us. We're called to exist for those who have not yet come and found a place here. Those who have not yet discovered a relationship with Christ. Those who have not yet understood his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. We want to help people find their way back to God and then see and watch how he's going to create something new in and through them. This is the God who searches high and low for the lost sheep. This is the God who sweeps the floor looking for the lost coin. And this is the God 
who stands by waiting and watching for the lost son. And the moment when he sees him, he runs full speed in his direction. And it's this last story that I want to focus a little bit on. You've probably heard this story. It's often referred to as the, the parable of the prodigal son. And in this story, the younger of the, the man's two sons asks for his inheritance, and the father's still alive. So to ask for inheritance while your father is still alive is basically uh, like saying, I wish you were dead. Um, that's really what it looks like, it, it, you know. And so he was, he was completely walking away from his relationship with his father and disowning him. And the father gives him what he asks for. And in the story, he takes that money. He takes his inheritance. He goes to a foreign land. He squanders it. He gambles. He does all kinds of things and winds up bad decision after bad decision in a pig pen, which to a kosher Jew would have been rock bottom. Rock bottom. Scripture tells us that he has a moment in all of that where he comes to his senses. There's a change in his mind and heart. And he decides to go home and he begs his father for forgiveness. And this is what happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I love what happens next here. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And in verse 22, the father says, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. Now, do you remember a couple of weeks back, we talked about ancient covenants? I don't know if you remember that or not. And we talked about with the establishment of a, of a covenant, there would often be an exchange of robes or rings or articles of clothing. There would, there would be an exchange, even exchange of blood. And then it would be commemorated with a memorial meal. Do you see the connection? Do you see what's happening here? There's a robe. There's a ring. There's a meal. This father in this story is reestablishing covenant with his son. The relationship has been broken. He had disowned him. He had walked away. He's basically said in his actions, I wish that you were dead. But he repents. There is a changing from the inside that then impacts his, his external actions. And he turns and he comes home and he asks for forgiveness. And this father is reestablishing his relationship with his son. Now, I'm going to be real here. If this was me... I would want to spend at least five minutes giving that kid a lecture, you know. Um, I mean, think about that, you know. But that's not the father's heart in this. 
And I, and I, and I believe it's because he genuinely saw and, and understood that there had been real change in his heart. It wasn't just this external behavioral thing, but it was deep heart change that had happened in his son. And then in verse 24, I love this. It says, so the party began. The party began. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy or not, um, but international speaker um, and author Bob Goff, he wrote a book called Love Does. That was a New York Times bestseller. And in his latest book, Everybody Always, he, he talks in that book about a friendship that was formed during his many travels. Bob Goff, because he speaks in a lot of places, spends about half, uh, he, he travels about half a million miles a year. That's a lot of miles. So he's going here and there, and he's speaking all over the place. And the crazy thing is, is that when you do that much traveling, you make friends with interesting people like, like TSA agents. Um, when's the last time you befriended a TSA agent? Um, but, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but Bob Goff did it because he spent that much time in security lines. You start to see the same people over and over again. So he had seen this man, the same TSA agent, about a half dozen times. And on this occasion, instead of just handing him his ID, he decides to reach out his hand to shake his hand. So the TSA agent puts his hand out, shakes his hand, and Bob Goff says, I've passed you like a half dozen times, and I just wanted to thank you for the way in which you treat each and every person that comes through this line. It's really amazing. You, you are such a caring person. In fact, when I think about it, the way you treat people reminds me a lot of the way in which Jesus loved others. And the TSA agent like looks up at him with like tears in his eyes, and then he gets out from behind his little desk and he comes over to Bob Goff with his arms held open, you know, and gives him a hug. And Bob Goff is a, is a pretty tall guy, and the TSA agent was relatively short. And so Goff describes the, the situation as the, the man comes up to him, and, and he gives him a hug, and his head just rests right here on his chest. And he said, so it's like we were embraced in this slow dance uh, for a moment, while there's like a hundred people back in the security line going, what in the world is going on in security, right? And I love, what, I love what he says next in his book. He said, this was the beginning of my friendship with Adrian. Three minutes at a time. Three minutes at a time. And he goes on in the book to describe how over the years, beyond that initial moment, there were dozens of times that they would just kind of catch up. He would see him again in the security line, and they would catch up about what was going on in each other's lives, just three minutes at a time. That established that relationship. They became friends. They became such good friends that occasionally their families even would uh, spend holidays together. And I love this. Bob says, we need to approach people and we need to start meeting people and establishing a relationship just three minutes at a time. In our circle of influence, in our coming and going, in our daily routine, 
when we're meeting people out and about, just taking the time to reach out to somebody three minutes at a time. What was Bob doing? I believe Bob was throwing a party. I think that's how the kingdom comes here. The kingdom is not just future, but it's also now. We love the people that are right in front of us, that are right next to us. We love people when they least expect it and when they least deserve it. We need to be about throwing parties for those who are outside the fold, outside the fence, and outside the family. And we, we do this, again, because we recognize that that was us, all of us. Scripture tells us that while we were lost in our sin, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, he died for us. God sent his son out of his great love for us when we were outside. And as we understand that and we wrap our hearts around that, that love, we are compelled to love others in the same way. So here's your assignment this week. It's simple. It's not above us. It's not beyond us. But this next week, you're going to bump into somebody. You're going to cross paths with somebody in your in your day-to-day coming and going, I want you to throw a a three-minute party for them. Throw a three-minute party for them. What does that look like? I don't know. It means saying something encouraging. It means maybe elevating the, the work that they do that oftentimes goes, you know, goes overlooked. Nobody says anything. I mean, anymore, when you think about it, when we go to the store, uh, and, and I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that's like this, but I'm, I'm a relatively social person, and I still have to consciously make eye contact with the cashier, because it's real easy just to kind of walk through and head down, and they're scanning groceries and you know, and that, and, uh, and if they say something, I say something in return and almost don't even make eye contact, go through, swipe the card, or Chip, put the chip card in. And, and really, honestly, what we're moving to is anymore when you're going to the grocery store, there is nobody. Now I'm just walking through and frustrated because the stupid machine kiosk that I'm at doesn't work, and now I've got to wait for somebody. And then when that person comes over, I'm, I'm mad. Um, so, no, but I'm just saying, we all run into people all the time. What would it look like if we were to encourage them in some way some small act that might create a ripple effect, just like we saw in the video leading into all of this. What if we were to celebrate them somehow? Just three minutes. Just three minutes. When I think about this kind of challenge, I think about my parents. I think about my dad. And... um, my dad was this type of person. And when I was at my dad's memorial service, there was a lot of things that were said about him in his life that blew me away. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me was that in, in the, the latter season of, of their lives, my parents have gotten very passionate and invested in uh, Teen Challenge as an organization and ministry. And those of you that don't know anything about Teen Challenge, Teen Challenge 
uh, is a ministry that loves those who are outside the fold. It, it looks to embrace those who have uh, teenagers and young adults who have found themselves in a place of life that they never thought they would land because of some poor decisions that they've made. Oftentimes it involves substance abuse, but there's a myriad of different things. And my parents really loved getting involved in that organization, and they would hang out um, almost on a daily basis, really on a daily basis, when they would be home in Eureka at a, uh, a coffee shop that was run by Teen Challenge employees and that, and just sit there and listen to their stories about what had happened in life, what God had done. My, my, I, several of the people from Teen Challenge uh, were at the memorial service. They sang in uh, a choir. They sang, I'll Fly Away. Um, and, and then after the service was over with, um, I was down in front just hugging people and greeting people and that. And the place is emptying out, but I noticed that there's a row in, in the church where there's just, it's, it's all these guys from Teen Challenge um, that had come. And they just sat there and they stayed there. Uh, they would not move until, and I was like, what is going on? So it's so strange. But then I realized what they were doing was they were, they were waiting for everybody else to go in to the fellowship hall to start lunch and that they wanted to make sure everyone else was served before they got up and, and they ate. And, and I was like, that is so cool. And I walked over to thank them for being there. And, and, I, and I just, you know, I said, thank you. Thank you for being here, for being a part of my my dad's service this, mor- uh, you know, this morning and that, and they said, several of them said with tears in their eyes, they said, no, thank you. Your dad, um, your dad, just in simple ways, encouraged us so much while we were going through tough times to remind us that, that God's love was, was so much greater than any mistake that we had ever made. And, uh, and he looked upon us with kindness, and he had a smile that would light up the room. And um, to me, that's what it looks like to throw good parties and to celebrate people and to build relationships three minutes at a time, to recognize that in, in our ordinary, everyday lives, this is what we're called to. And in the everyday, ordinary we can do simple things that make extraordinary impact in the lives of other people. We may never actually see it. My dad was very fortunate, very blessed, and I'm thankful, I'm just going to call her out, I'm very thankful to Kim Norton because she was the one who mentioned to us, hey, it might be a good idea for you as your dad goes into hospice to let people know that this has happened so that those on Facebook that have known him, that have been a part of his life, have an opportunity to respond. Now, in that, I had no idea, and neither did he, the absolute flood of stories that would be shared on there. And in that time that he laid in that bed in, in, in hospice, I, I envy you know, from the standpoint, I don't know that I will ever have that opportunity. I don't know. Most of us, and this is the reason why you do this, you, 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 do, you invest into other people's life. You sow seed into other people's hearts, not for the, the sake of being able to uh, step back and, and see that return. 
you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't do it with any expectation. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And, and you know that if you don't see the fruit on this side of life, you will on the other. And most have to wait to see that. But my dad had this incredible blessing that he got to see a glimpse of it here. So quickly, let me go back to our parable of the prodigal son. Because when we look at the rest of the story, I wish it ended with the party, but it doesn't. It's like, the Mar- it's like a Marvel movie where it's got a post-credit scene, and it's a significant subplot in this story. And we read in verse 25 this. It says, Meanwhile, the elder brother was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. And they said, Your brother is back, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. And wouldn't go in. So the older brother hears this news and he refuses to go into the party. He's upset. And his language reveals something about what's going on inside of him. Because he responds to the father like this. In verse 29 he says, all these years I have slaved for you. This is what he says to his, his dad. And I can't imagine what was going through his dad's mind. His dad's thinking, you what? All these years you slaved for me? I didn't know you were a slave. I thought you were my son. I thought you were my son. Our language reveals so much about what's happening up here and in here. The older brother had an orphan mindset. And then he goes on to say this to his father in verse 30. Yet when this son of yours comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So once again, this is interesting because he doesn't say, should have said, my brother. But instead he says, your son. Your son did this. See the separation there? There's something happening inside of the older brother. And when I really stop to examine that, I'm afraid that there's been times that I've seen this in myself. I think when I examine this, I'm afraid that sometimes that's me. Three quick takeaways from this. Three quick takeaways from this story. Number one, I think most most of us would rather be right than righteous. Most of us would rather be right than righteous, and there's a big difference between those two. One is a pursuit after holiness, and the other is trying to be holier than thou. The older brother was self-righteous. Number two, we tend to categorize each uh, other people's sin as worse than our own. And that's what the older brother is doing. He sees the lust and he sees the greed in his brother's behavior, but he cannot see the pride and the prejudice in his own heart. Let me say something to you. You've heard me say this before. You're going to hear me say this often, and I want to make it really crystal clear. When it comes to categorizing people, there is only two categories of people. There's Jesus, and then there's everybody else. There's Jesus and everybody else. If we do any other categorizing besides that, 
Meaning like we're like, nah, you know what? I've seen what that guy's done or what that gal's done. Or I've seen what that, the destruction. That person's a dirtbag. I would never do that to my family. I would never do that to my wife. I would never do that to my kids. I'm telling you what, folks, and without going into any, there's no need to go into details here, but even right here in the, in the formation of this church, this body of people has been challenged and is being challenged with this very thing as to whether or not we will, in the wake of bad decisions that cause destruction in families, will we be quick to judge Will we put ourselves in one category and look at somebody else in their decisions as, as being, oh, that, 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 come on. I would never do that. And in doing so, we, we kind of try to validate our own fallenness, our own brokenness. There's no way that could be me. We have to be very, very careful about that because number three Here's the takeaway. I think we really want God to be merciful to us, but we really want him to bring judgment out onto others. I think we really want, and we know we need God's mercy in our lives. God, pour out your mercy upon me. But then we want him to go out and to make right all the wrongs. Come on, God. Bring forth your judgment. Do it. And the problem with that is that it oftentimes ends up becoming something in our hearts where we hold a grudge. We let a seed of bitterness land into our hearts and grow. So the question as we leave this place this morning is this. Who are you in the story? Are you the younger brother or are you the older brother? Are you religious or are you repentant? And those are two different things. Listen, God could care less about religiosity. He could care less about it. It's a turnoff to him. You cannot read through the Gospels and and not see Jesus going after people who had all the trappings of religion, but had a heart that was very far and distant from God. But I've got good news because all of us are in the same boat. Remember I told you there's two categories. There's Jesus and there's everybody else. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And the good news is what we actually read in Luke chapter 15 verse 10. It says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. God's looking for those hearts that would repent. And that Greek word, repentance, means the changing of our minds. The changing of our minds. And when our minds change and our heart changes, then our outward actions begin to change. We change from the inside out at that moment of repentance. And I'm just wondering how many of us have played the part of the older brother? How many of us need to repent this morning from our religiosity and our judgment? 
How many of us need to posture ourselves in a way where we love Jesus the way, we love others the way that Jesus did? We're not afraid to offend some Pharisees. And you know, in doing so, in doing so, when we love people like he did, I truly do believe that we will see his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you have showered your love upon our lives. God, I thank you that your word challenges us and as we look at the life of Jesus, we know that he had a huge heart for those who were often cast out, those who the majority of people had long given up on and said they are too far gone. They're not worth the time and attention and the energy. And yet those were the people who were drawn to Jesus. And he spent time with them and he loved them and he showed them something that they had not seen from the religious collective. Those that were right, but in their rightness had missed it. God, I pray that our hearts would, would be soft and turn to you, that God, that we would recognize again that when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't see ourselves any other way, in any other class, but the fact that there is you and then there's all of us. All of us have fallen short. All of us have made mistakes. All of us are broken and we're in need of a Savior. And God, in that mercy that you have poured out upon our hearts, would we be compelled to show that love to others? God, help us to have hearts that would be like the younger brother, where we would come to our senses and turn in our minds and hearts from a place of religiosity and judgment to one that would seek out those that are far from God and be an example to them Look to establish relationships three minutes at a time. Understand and be aware that our small actions, our everyday, ordinary lives matter. That God, that's what you're calling us to when it comes to being the church. That we take the ordinary and the mundane and we do something to cause change, maybe in an extraordinary way that would cause a ripple effect. Help us to love others the way you've loved us, God. Help us to throw better parties. We know, God, that you celebrate when just one that was lost turns their heart and acknowledges you. When just one returns to the Father, there's a party in heaven. So, God, may we have that same kind of spirit within us, that same kind of tenacity that we go looking for, just the one lost person who we can encourage and we could help make known the God that loves them 
and forgives them and accepts them for who they are right where they are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.